0: Hello, I'm Future Hindsight's executive producer and host, Mila Atmos. We're trying to practice what we preach here at Future Hindsight about how rest is a really vital part of any activist's toolbox. Civic changemakers need to take a break from time to time, and so do we. But while we recuperate from a busy first quarter of 2023, we're going to share a podcast with you that really aligns with our mission to take big ideas about civic life and democracy and turn them into action items for you and me. The biggest action item for all of us is the climate crisis. And it's an international question, of course, but one that we can influence locally and put at the heart of demands and decisions in our democracy. In the podcast Drilled, investigative journalist Amy Westervelt turns a kind of true crime lens on climate change. In the new season, light, sweet, crude, Amy heads to Guyana to investigate the emergence of a new oil state amid the climate crisis. It's a wild ride. Here's the first episode.
1: We interrupt this program to bring you a breaking news story. U.S. oil giant Exxon
0: strikes oil in Guyana. Now, one of the prominent election issues in Guyana has been the country's oil exploration efforts.
2: There were rumors swirling
0: that Guyana had found oil. Unlike almost all its neighbors, Guyana is not yet an oil producer. But last week, ExxonMobil announced it had discovered oil off the coast. In May
3: 2015, ExxonMobil announced that it had struck oil off the coast of the small South American country of Guyana. And in Guyana, this was a big deal. And then, just a couple months later, Exxon was making headlines for another reason entirely.
4: An investigation is underway into Exxon Mobil. The huge oil company buried research about the effects of climate change. Reports suggest more than 30 years ago, Exxon's own scientists were taking climate change projections into account in its operational plans.
0: Exxon was on the cutting edge of science. They wanted to be on the cutting edge of science 40 years ago on climate change.
3: Journalists at Inside Climate News, the LA Times, and Columbia Journalism School published dozens of internal documents that showed that ExxonMobil had been warned by its own scientists about climate change back in the 1970s, and yet had worked hard to keep the world from ever hearing those warnings or taking them seriously. Exxon rushed to defend its record. It criticized the journalists. It ran tons of social media ads and videos that would pop up every time you searched Exxon climate on Google. It claimed the whole story was part of an organized plot against it. But it was hard to deny the hundreds of internal documents that the company itself had put in its corporate archive at the University of Texas Library. It was all there in black and white. Predictions of warming temperatures, rising seas, fires and hurricanes, models and charts that showed exactly what we're dealing with today. Story after story painted Exxon as the world's climate villain. And it was at this moment that Guyana, a country on the front lines of the global climate crisis and one of the few South American nations to stay out of oil throughout its history, emerged as a new oil state, thanks to Exxon. As time went on, Exxon began projecting that oil from Guyana would make up around 25% of its total global output. So to recap, the same year Exxon was exposed for blocking climate policy for decades, they decided to start a whole new project doing offshore drilling in Guyana. A project so large that it's what climate experts call a carbon bomb. Knowing everything they know about climate change and the role fossil fuels play in it knowing the inevitability of oil spills and flaring and things going wrong. Not in the 1970s when they were just learning about these things, but now when they know so much. That's when they decided to expand into Guyana.
2: One of the first things we found out was who uh, was this company that found this oil? And they said, oh, it was EEPGL, Esso Exploration and Production Guyana Limited. And that company is a subsidiary of Exxon Mobil Corporation.
3: Kiana Wilberg reports on the oil and gas industry for one of the country's top papers, Kiter News.
2: And so I said, okay, we need to let people know. Yes, we found oil, but who are we really dealing with? Who is this company? What's its track record? We don't know anything about it. Let's get into it.
3: I'm Amy Westervelt, and I'm a journalist who's been covering the fossil fuel industry for 20 years. So it was a big surprise to me that Kiana and her colleagues had not heard of ExxonMobil before this. In the U.S., of course, they're a household name, but for journalists in particular, they have a reputation. For me and every journalist I know who's ever done an Exxon story, weird shit just happens when you're reporting on this company. When I was interviewing those former Exxon scientists I mentioned before, the ones that had done all that climate research back in the 70s and 80s, Every time I traveled, half my reservations would somehow wind up changed or canceled. It actually happened when I was reporting on this story, too. On my way to Guyana, I got a message just before my flight that my hotel room in Georgetown had been canceled. I called our senior producer and editor, Sarah Ventry, about it to let her know. Good morning, Sarah. Um, I woke up to a fun little surprise that Marriott had canceled my hotel reservation tonight. Um, I I totally forgot that Like every time I go somewhere to report on Exxon, this happens. We asked Kiana if intimidation from either the oil companies or the government ever makes her think twice about her beat.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I remember... Uh, Watching this documentary about how citizens of Papua New Guinea died uh, when they were pushing for an oil and gas project in a particular area, people who were protesting against it started disappearing. But I am. I am very, very much aware of the dangers of reporting on the oil and gas sector
3: those dangers have only increased in the few years since Guyana became an oil country. For decades now, the fossil fuel industry's story has been that oil equals development and prosperity. Equality. Stability. A better quality of life. As the world's fossil fuel companies race to tap the last of the planet's oil reserves, we have a chance to examine that promise up close, in real time. This season, life and death in the world's fastest-growing economy.
4: The purpose of an oil company is to make money. They have no other purpose.
0: If you have abundant natural resources, and you could use those natural resources in a very responsible manner to help lift your people out of poverty, that's what I I, I support.
1: It's really extraordinary, the leverage industry has over the country and it's inexplicable.
4: The amount, the number of of attacks we have received from members of the government, um, it shows that the government is not ready to accommodate
1: um, persons who are willing to speak out.
4: 1.2 billion gallons of sewage in our pristine ocean, so we're getting roughly Again, a shit for every barrel of oil they take out. And that's the deal in a nutshell.
1: I thought it was hard to report on the CIA, and I came to understand that Exxon was far more difficult and a little bit scarier, even.
3: Welcome to Light Sweet Crude, a special crossover season of drilled and damages. Stay with us.
2: My lifelong dream since since growing up was to be a teacher.
3: This is Kiana Wilberg, who we heard from before. She was one of my first connections in Guyana, actually. I originally hired her to help do some interviews and some on-the-ground recording when we couldn't travel to Guyana because of COVID. But the more I got to know her, I realized that she wasn't just helping us to tell this story.
2: She was a big part of it. And I didn't get to fulfilled that dream because I was told that I was too young and the boys in the class would not take me seriously as a teacher. So I said, okay, what's the next thing that I wanted to do? And that would be writing. I love to write. Mm -hmm. And um, I love to pray as well. So I remember praying and I said, you know, God, if you channel me in a direction, To get a job that allows me to do what I love, that allows me to write, I'm going to give 1,000% of myself, every single day. The next day, I got this job.
3: This job was working as a reporter at one of the country's largest newspapers, Kiter News. She was young, 19, maybe 20, and she had no idea what to expect. She stayed up all night before her first day, studying the paper and its writers.
2: So I had a little notebook, and I wrote down all of the topics that they paid attention to in health, in crime, in education, because I wasn't sure where they would put me or what they would ask me.
3: She even picked out the perfect first day of work outfit just like you used to do the night before your first day of school.
2: I remember having this black jacket with gold buttons and uh, matching um, green green inner top and the black pants with uh, green shoes. And when I got to wear I thought that I looked so good. But
3: it turned into one of her first lessons about navigating Guyana's fraught political landscape as a journalist.
2: I got to work the first day and I was reprimanded for it because green and black are party colors. It's the two colors of one of the major political parties in the country. If you go out there as a reporter, they automatically ask you, oh, are you a representative for this party? That's a big deal in Guyana, where politics are tense and racialized. You have predominantly Blacks and you have predominantly Indians. And there are parties that represent those interests. Mm -hmm. Leading up to elections, you will see both sides reminding of things that happened five years ago, ten years ago. 50 years ago, you you will hear them beating these racist drums, ev- like every single time it's leading up to elections. And so unfortunately, even at this media entity, when it gets to that time, you see some people say good afternoon and some people don't.
3: According to Kiana, oil drilling has exacerbated the problem.
2: It's more cutthroat. And there's no apology, there, there's no apology for it. There's no care for window dressing anymore. It's going to be vile, it's going to be disrespectful. It's, it's oil is just making this, the, the politics, it's getting toxic. It's, it's reaching an extremely toxic level.
3: That's pretty concerning in a country with a history of political battles turning violent. The fact that politics are turning ugly in the wake of oil doesn't exactly bode well for stability in Guyana. Americans are, of course, no strangers to divisive, toxic, racialized, or even violent politics either. But to give you just one example of just how bad it's starting to get in Guyana, Kiana told us about a fight over one piece of oil-related legislation that actually ended up in a wrestling match. Seriously, some politicians ended up rolling around on the floor of the National Assembly.
4: I'm sorry, we are witnessing now unprecedented vulgarity in the National Assembly of Guyana.
2: Consistent- the opposition resorted to whistling, stealing the mace, and that instrument, if it's removed from there, you cannot pass a law. Oh, wow. So <laughs> the opposition tried to steal the mace so that they can pass it. and it was a tug of war between the members of the opposition and um, the parliamentary officials and their images uh, online with the, a parliamentary official lying on the ground, hugging the mace so that it cannot be, be stolen from him.
3: That sort of thing has been happening more and more in the past couple of years, as Exxon started actually producing barrels of oil. Suddenly, the potential for oil profits has become real money in government accounts. Roads are being built. Government programs are being announced. Guyana's capital, Georgetown, it's an oil boom town now that caters to foreigners in the oil business. There are high-rise hotels springing up all over the place. It's impossible to get a reservation at the most popular restaurant in town. Old colonial homes near the waterfront have been torn down and replaced by modern apartment buildings or condos, where oil execs from Houston rotate in and out. Competition for power and wealth has intensified, turning up the heat on long-simmering political, ethnic, and class resentments. When that first announcement was made in 2015, it was just the earliest hint of what was to come. Exxon had figured out that there was oil off Guyana's coast, but it needed to understand exactly how much and how accessible it was. Once that was determined, it had to commission unusually large and complex offshore rigs to get at the oil. These were not your standard offshore platforms. Exxon needed to be able not only to drill in extremely deep water but also to store large quantities of oil at sea and ship barrels directly from the middle of the ocean. It takes at least two years to build these things. They're called Floating Production Storage and Offloading Vessels, or as we heard a lot of people call them, FPSOs. They cost up to $3 billion each and they can take up to a year just to install and get going. So it makes sense that while Exxon announced that it had discovered oil in Guyana in 2015, it didn't actually produce its first barrel there until 2019. When that happened, the country's president at the time, David Granger, was so thrilled, he declared the day a national holiday.
0: Guyanese, I shall issue a proclamation declaring the 20th of December as National Petroleum Day.
3: In those four years from the discovery of oil to the production of it, Kiana Wilberg set herself the task of learning everything she possibly could about the industry and about the company that Guyana was partnering with.
2: I distinctly remember I said, okay, you know what, I don't know anything about oil and gas. Um, The editor-in-chief at the time, Adam Harris, said, you know, I have a book somewhere at home about Exxon. The book was one of the all-time masterpieces
3: ever written about Exxon' private empire.
1: I'm Steve Call, and I am the author of uh, *Private Empire*, Exxon, Mobile, and American Power.
3: Steve Call is also an investigative journalist for The New Yorker.
1: I thought it was hard to report on the CIA, and I came to understand that Exxon was far more difficult and 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 a little bit scarier even. I joked with my colleagues that you know, if I, if I disappeared, like if some van pulled up beside me on the street and I was bundled away and they never saw me again, that it wouldn't be Al-Qaeda, which I had reported on, it wouldn't be the CIA, which I had reported on, it would probably be Exxon. They have that way of creeping people out of intimidation, actually. And it's a, it's a strategy, and they're very um, practiced at it and effective at it. They have a lot of power and resources with which to intimidate people.
3: Kiana photocopied Call's book for her colleagues. Reading it, she could tell she was signing up for a big challenge. But it wasn't all on her shoulders. Her paper, Kiter News, knew that Guyana getting into the oil business was a big deal. So they created an oil and gas desk and put five journalists on it, some for oil, some for gas. They all read those photocopies of Private Empire and then came up with questions they wanted answers for.
2: Everyone was armed with pencils and exercise books, notebooks, and we were writing on all the questions that we want to ask, that we want to find out and do research about. As they did their research, they would publish it in a series of weekly articles. And we started out with everything you need to know about ExxonMobil. And some of our stories um, looked at the environmental issues, concerns that countries, uh, civil society groups had about ExxonMobil's operations.
3: One of those concerns was, unsurprisingly, climate change and the extent to which a massive new oil project would be exacerbating a problem that the country and the world is already facing. Guyanese President Irfan Ali has painted sort of a robbing Peter to pay Paul picture, claiming that oil money will help Guyana pay for the cost of adapting to climate change. Never mind that it will also exacerbate the problem, and Guyana's capital, Georgetown, is below sea level already. In fact, it was already below sea level when it was built. Back in the late 1700s, the Dutch colonized the area and engineered a canal system for Georgetown similar to those they built in the Netherlands.
5: Now there are hundreds and hundreds of these in Guyana all along the coast. So you have the seawall, but there are breaks in the seawall all along that has these openings that has a sluice. And so it's like a gate that opens and closes. So at low tide, it's open to let water out. At high tide, it's closed to keep the seawater out.
3: Salvador de Cares was born and raised in Guyana. Today, he works as a tour guide there.
5: And right now, even, there are parts of the East Coast, and even here, during spring tides, you should see the waves coming over the top of this, the wall. So any kind of rise in sea level, we are in trouble how much do you keep building this wall up? At some point, we're going to have to think about moving, and the government is already talking about it actually, moving the capital back into where the big airport is.
3: (laughs) I was walking around with this yesterday, and someone was like, man, why are you walking around with that brush? (laughs) When we got to Guyana, we didn't just head straight for the oil and gas experts and for a drive-by of the Exxon headquarters. We wanted to understand the context all these changes were happening in. So we went to the market, we talked to fishermen at the seawall, and we hit the National Museum with Salvador. Turns out the Dutch and the British weren't the only colonial powers interested in Guyana back in the 1700s. The French, Spanish, and Portuguese all took parts of the country too.
2: You got the three Guyanas
3: and what they used to call British Guyana, Dutch Guyana, and French Guyana. Dutch Guyana is
5: Suriname. Portuguese Guyana was here, and Spanish Guyana was here on the Arnaco. Spanish Ghana became part of Venezuela, Portuguese Ghana became part of Brazil. So you've got French now, French,
3: Dutch, and, and English, but the border got changed. At this point, Salvador stood in front of a big map of the country to show how these former colonies had been divided into new countries.
5: But we gave up this to Brazil, and we gave up all of this to Venezuela. So now they claim that this should be the border. So two-thirds of Guyana, they say, belongs to them. Not No way. Sorry. Not happening.
3: In case you missed that, he's saying that Venezuela is laying claim to a portion of Guyana. In fact, they lay claim to a fairly large percentage of Guyana's land and also to all of its offshore area, which means the oil. That border dispute has been going on for more than a century, but the 2015 discovery of oil in Guyana reignited it. By that point, Venezuela had actually kicked out several foreign oil companies, including ExxonMobil.
4: The reason why we are, we are famous now is that Venezuela has denied denied the U.S. companies their um, rightful share, whatever that may be.
3: This is Alfred Boulay, an engineer and energy expert in Guyana, who says there have been various research projects around oil in the country for decades. Today, he works for Transparency Institute Guyana, which pushes for increased government transparency.
4: So I I knew there was oil being drilled, and certain knowledgeable people knew that, Uh, particularly um, Mr. Burnham in in the 1970s, the, the former president.
3: That's former President Forbes Burnham. The country officially gained independence from Britain in 1966, but it didn't have its first entirely democratic election until the early 90s. In the lead-up to independence, the most popular party was the People's Progressive Party, the PPP. And at that point in the 60s, it was a cross-racial party led by two men, one of Indian descent Chetty Jagan, the other of African descent Forbes Burnham. Like a lot of other South American political leaders at the time, they were both leftists and they had strong opinions about who should own and benefit from Guyana's natural resources, not Western oil companies for one. They wanted Guyana's resources to benefit its people. Also like a lot of South American countries, Guyana was on the CIA's radar at the time and they had strong opinions about which of these two men they'd prefer to see in charge of so many resources. Burnham, the one who didn't spend quite so much time with Fidel Castro. As they have done in so many countries, the CIA leaned on racial differences to split the parties into two and then backed Burnham. Despite its relative stability compared to some of its neighbors, Guyana wasn't a big target for its oil because it sat beneath the ocean floor some 40 miles off the coast. So from the 1970s to the early 2000s, the big U.S. oil companies were really concentrating on Venezuela.
4: So I am absolutely sure that they knew there was oil here and just waited if Venezuela is going to play bad. Then they said, well, OK, we have oil elsewhere, and then negotiated a, a, a very sweet deal. And uh, so, so the people who knew about oil knew these things, but the
3: general public didn't. Bulai thinks it's possible that Venezuela and Guyana's oil are fed by the same reserve, which could be further fueling Venezuela's attempts to stop the drilling in Guyana. All of this got Kiana Wilberg and her team at Keiter News thinking about one key question that they had not been able to find an answer to about Exxon's sudden presence
2: in Guyana. What's the contract that we have with this company?
3: Steve Call's book, Private Empire, is filled with details about what kinds of deals countries like Equatorial Guinea, Chad, and Guyana's neighbor Venezuela had struck with Exxon. In 2016, a year after Exxon discovered oil offshore, Kiana and her newsroom wanted to know where Guyana stood compared to those other countries. Equatorial Guinea had only gotten about 8% royalties in its contract, Chad got 10%, but Guyana was more stable and developed than those countries had been when they inked contracts with Exxon.
2: Surely they would get more. And it took us a year of writing over and over and over and over. To release the contract, release the contract, release it, release it.
3: Next time on Light Sweet Crude.
2: This is something that was hidden from media since 1999. No one saw this document.
0: The majority of people, including the IMF, have gone on record as saying it was a very unfair deal for Guyana.
4: I began talking to someone there and he said he would like to do a case, but nobody would do the case for him
0: to challenge the oil. And I said, I'll do it. Look for the new season of Drilled wherever you get your podcasts and look for a new episode of Future Hindsight in your feeds next week. Until next time. Stay engaged.